like I've said, the evidence unanimously favors Lord's Day observance by the church and the early church. We don't have record of Christians choosing to have church on Saturday. It's just unanimous across a wide geographical area from northern Africa all the way around the Mediterranean to Rome, moving into Asia Minor. Everybody met on the Lord's Day. Um, contrary to what Samuel Bacciochi was writing in From Sabbath to Lord's Day. Right? So his thesis is, no, when Jerusalem burned in 135, then they chose to separate themselves from the Jews, and they chose Sunday then. But they worshiped on Saturday until then. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't think that's true at all. Um, one significant historical letter we have is from a man named Pliny the Younger. He wrote to, who's a governor in Bithynia, and he wrote to Emperor Trajan, around 100, and Pliny wrote there just kind of a passing reference to these Christians that were in a habit of meeting on a, quote, fixed and stated day, right? So this pagan governor knew that the Christians always met at the same time every week or on the same day every week. Right? It's kind of a passing comment there, a little nugget of history that might have been lost. He doesn't say Lord's Day, but what pagan would at that point. Um, but they're meeting weekly. So the weekly rhythm is there. We can move to the Didache, um, which is part of the One of the earlier Jewish Christian works written after the New Testament. It's written, I'd say, between 80 and 100 AD. Some take a little bit later reading. Doesn't significantly change the interpretation of this passage. Um, but it's one of the early first kind of church manuals for uh, churches. Um, how do we how do we do things? And, um, and in chapter fourteen, right there's a, a statement there that is normally translated on the Lord's own day. Gather together and break bread and give thanks. Da 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 da. So he mentions on the Lord's own day. And it's a strange construction there. If you're into Greek or you know Greek, you can see it there on page 148. Which if we translate it very literally, means on or according to the Lord's of the Lord. Well, that's peculiar. Um, Bacciochi likes to argue that it means according to the doctrine of our Lord, and he makes several, um, I find, unconvincing arguments. You can see those things on page 149. I think Richard Baucom, uh, who who is not a friend of Sabbatarians, but counters Bacciochi really well on this. I think more plausible interpretation there is that the content, context of Kyriakein strongly suggests to us regular weekly 
worship of a local body there. So this early church manual is telling us, and when you gather every Lord's Day, do this and this and this. The assumption there is that you will be gathering every Lord's Day. Right? We're continuing this pattern of weekly worship. That's significant for us because this gives us evidence of a very early 2nd century work, maybe a very late 1st century work, with convictions regarding regular the regularity of weekly worship, right? The presumably Jewish Christian author advises a Gentile believer to worship on the Lord's Day. He doesn't say, you know, which, whichever day is most convenient for you. Right? doesn't say, you know, Sunday would be a lot less offensive. You're free in Christ. Saturday would be a lot less offensive to your Jewish brothers you're trying to reach. You know, if we want to really contextualize to meet these Jews and bring them to Christ, you should meet on Saturday. That'd be a lot less offensive. That's not what he says, right? Paul uses language like, I'll become all things to all people that I might reach some, but he doesn't, you know, say, well, then we're going to meet on Saturday to be less offensive. No, no, no. We're going to meet on the Lord's Day. Unlike Paul and Ignatius's Judaizing opponents who would presumably advocate keeping a weekly Sabbath. The Jewish Christian author of the Didache does not speak of God's rest after creation or of the Exodus following Jewish law. Sadly, he doesn't give us a detailed theological reasoning for his assumption of Lord's Day observance. Right? We have sparse information in these early apostolic fathers' works, but it's there. Moving on to Ignatius, Ignatius of Antioch. So Ignatius was a bishop, right, an early church ruler or a, a church leader over several smaller congregations in Antioch, and he was um, imprisoned and was drugged over a long time. He had to march all the way around to Rome where he would eventually be uh, thrown to the lions. And as he's going along the way, He's writing letters. His letters are pretty great, um, if you ever want to read them. And his, he's got a really high Christology, right? Even early. This is early in, the, in, the, uh, in Christianity. He's got a really high Christology. And so for those people that are out there that say Nicaea invented, you know, this divinity of Christ, like, you know, don't believe that. Read Ignatius. Throw it out the window. Throw their arguments out the window. So, Ignatius, his letter to the Magnesians. He says, If then those who lived according to the ancient practices came to the newness of hope, no longer keeping the Sabbath, but living in accordance with the Lord's day, on which our life also arose through him and his death. And so, he talks about, well, we're not keeping the Sabbath anymore. We're keeping the Lord's day. What's going on here? Well, similar to the Didache and the translation issues, the letter to the Magnesians has some controversy over Kyriakang, right? Um, and so what, what to sum it up, uh, I think that the most plausible interpretation is that Ignatius is using synecdoche, right, which part is named representative of the whole. He's speaking of Sabbath as a representative of Judaism. 
So you have two paths, as it were. You can follow the Sabbath, i.e. Judaism, or you can worship on the Lord's Day, i.e. follow Christ. That's the kind of two paths you have. So he's not thinking in post-Reformation categories of the Christian Sabbath and ceremonial law. No, no, no. He's, he's in a world that's split. You've got Jews and Christians kind of fighting over these different things. He's saying, don't go back to that. Don't go back to sabbatizing. And by that I mean, don't go back to your Judaistic roots. These Jewish Christians need to be encouraged. Stay on the Lord's Day. I know it feels weird. You've grown up your whole life worshiping on Saturday and going to synagogue. And now in Christ, you're doing it on Sunday? I know that's weird. Don't go back to it. Don't go back to sabbatizing. That's what he's saying. The Sabbath is a representative of the Judaistic whole, and that's radically incompatible with Christianity. Right? Because within the Jewish Sabbath becomes all these dietary customs, comes with all these cleansing rituals, all everything else. And to worship on the Lord's Day means you're throwing all that out consistently, right? If you're going to be consistent. So the significance of this. Well, a first significance is found in Ignatius's arguments when he draws a sharp contrast between sabbatizing and living according to the Lord's day, right? These are two ways of life. He's not arguing, as Paul often and readily does, for concern for Gentile freedom from the law. Rather, his words betray a more thoroughgoing distinction between two different religions of the day, Judaism and Christianity, right? Christianity, at first, they're trying to figure out what's our relationship to Judaism. The Jews are trying to figure out what are these people that follow this Jesus guy? This is kind of cult of Judaism. Like, no, no, no. By the time we get to Ignatius, you got two options. They're, they're more clearly defined now. The apostles have been able to teach more and to flesh more of this out. They've been able to write their letters and get it out there. And it's, it's evident. You can't have Judaism and Jesus together, one or the other. Or more properly, one fulfills the other. Ignatius is demonstrating the growing tendency for Christians to separate themselves from Jewish customs, and he's advocating a distinctively Christian practice of the Lord's Day gathering. Also, and this is significant for the meaning of the day, Ignatius gives the foundation for his Lord's Day observance, and that is the resurrection. Right? It's not convenience. It wasn't politically prudent. It wasn't, well, we had nothing else going on that day. You know. It was the resurrection. The church father, less than one generation removed from the apostles, is showing the beginnings of a Lord's Day theology that will begin to blossom over the coming centuries. Finally, what's left unsaid is also significant. We should... Regretfully say, he doesn't use creation language or eschatological language. He just kind of mentions it in passing. And we got, don't sabotage, but honor the Lord's day, the day that he was raised. And he moves on. Damn. So close. To moving on in the early church history, Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr shows 
continuity with Ignatius on several points, right? He defends the Lord's Day worship. He condemns weekly Sabbath day worship. Right? The Sabbath was representative of going back to what was Judaism. And those people that are refusing to accept Jesus as Lord. So part represents the whole again. We see in his apology, 167, he says, And on the day that is called Sunday, all who live in cities or in rural areas gather together in one place, and the memoirs of the apostles and the writings of the prophets are read for as long as time allows. Justin goes on and states the reason for this worship. He says, But Sunday is the day on which we hold our common assembly, for this is the first day on which God... Hmm. I left out a word there. It's the first day on which God... Let's see. And it was the very day on which Jesus Christ, our Savior, rose from the dead. And so unlike Ignatius, who was writing to a body believers, Justin's apology is written to defend and explain Christian beliefs and practices. So he explains that Christians gather on Sunday, and he gives a brief description of what they're doing at their gatherings. And Justin's doing this because the emperor has suspicions about something shady going on with those Christians. There's something weird in there. I'm hearing whispers about body and blood, right? about brothers and sisters in Christ. What are y'all doing in there? Get in the water together? Baptism, which was often done with less than a lot of clothes on. And so Justin's writing this apologia, his defense. And Justin's references to the Lord's Day are significant, right? He's one of the first, the apology is one of the first defenses of the faith. If you like apologetics, that's where you start, right, in church history. And by explaining what the Christian gathers, gathered, uh, gatherings are doing, he's trying to correct what the emperor had heard, right? There's some people that accused Christians of being cannibals because they're eating the body and blood of Christ. Right? Well, that's weird. Right? They're also accusing them of incest and all sorts of weird uh, sexual impropriety because they call each other brother and sister and they're baptizing each other, which, you know, all that. And so he's writing this defense, and he's trying to put to rest the fears that this emperor has. He, depend, he defends Christian practices, showing there's no moral impropriety, but he's also showing um, discontinuity with the surrounding customs, right? Because he tells them what's going on. He not, you notice he says that God's work of creation and recreation are mentioned there as motivations, right? the first day on which God rested, and it's the very day in which Jesus Christ, our Savior, rose from the dead. That's what he says in his Apologia there. Right? It's proper, it's fitting, it's appropriate for the church to worship on Sunday rather than Saturday because it commemorates both God's creative work for the Lord's Day, He connects with Genesis 2. He also connects it with the resurrection. Right? He does something that no prior author or at least existent author that we're aware of does. He connects Lord's Day explicitly with Genesis 2. Rather, he grounds it in his activity. 
significant for us. He also, to skip down to dialogue with Trifo the Jew, right? So he's writing specifically to defend Christianity as the proper interpretation of the Old Testament and to show that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He naturally has to deal with issues of law. So he addresses the Sabbath in multiple questions, right? He argues in different points, and you can see the footnotes there, that the Jews never properly understood Old Covenant law. Sounds like what Jesus said. Um, He argues that the Sabbath is not a perpetually binding obligation for the Old Testament believers, and therefore it's not inconceivable that the command be removed in the New Covenant. And in the New Law, this New Covenant law, The Sabbath command calls for perpetual obedience, not just weekly, right? So we're, we're resting in Jesus all the time. So there's old precedent for that language. Of Jesus is our rest. Um, So you can see some more analysis of his dialogue with Trifo there on 155. Um, He does argue along with Jesus that the Jews in the Old Covenant, in the Old Law, as he says, did not understand what Sabbath means, that they fundamentally misunderstood it. Um, He said, the day is not about being idle for a day basically what he's saying. It's about submitting to God and and being pious, right? Being holy. Like in one sense, there's truth to that. In one sense, there's there's something good that's being said there. So we should be constantly resting in Christ, meaning not choosing to do sinful works. Uh, And he brings up the theme of the eighth day, uh, which is something that We'll see a little bit later in church history. Uh, he says that the Sabbath has been replaced by what is this kind of eschatological eighth day. We're in this um, this new beginning of a new creation. That's that's now. So in a sense, he's pulling down kind of a overrealized eschatology and bringing it here. We're in the new creation now. Like in one sense, that's true, but in another sense, we're not there yet. Um, so. Justin shows some continuity with Ignatius. He defends Lord's Day worship. He condemns um, Saturday Sabbath worship. He argues that the Old Testament Sabbath laws were for the Jews, not for everybody. But Justin shows discontinuity with those behind him. Right? He grounds Lord's Day observance upon typological promises and the fulfillment of themes. I'm beginning to get a little bit more interpretive sophistication when it comes to Lord's Day and Sabbath. Right? So the church, as you would expect, is refining itself under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, growing in wisdom in this area. Justin argues that Lord's Day worship is grounded in creation. Right, That's important. Let's see. One more. Let's look at Tertullian.
Tertullian is an interesting figure. How many of you have had Church History 1 or whatever early church church history that is? Okay. All right. So Tertullian, if you look after his name there on 157, that's uh, flourishing. He flourished circa 19, uh, 195 to 212. That's what that means. If you've never seen that. That means we don't know when he was, when he was born. But that's the time that he seems to be writing most of his stuff. He's flourishing around that time. Tertullian only briefly mentions the Lord's Day or the Sabbath. However, he does make clear that the Sabbath has been replaced. The Jewish Sabbath has been replaced. He writes, When we Christians understand that we still more ought to observe a Sabbath from all servile work always, there's this beginning connection between slavish work and kind of sin. Not only on the seventh day, but we do it all the time. And through this arises a question, what Sabbath God willed us to keep? For the scriptures point to an eternal Sabbath and a Sabbath temporal, right? So the temporal Sabbath was the Jewish Sabbath, but Tertullian explains that the patriarchs before Sinai didn't observe the Jewish Sabbath and therefore, Christians are not commanded to observe the Jewish Sabbath, right? There's nothing new under the sun. The progressive covenantal guys are just writing the same arguments <laughs> that were written back then, right? Patriarchs didn't observe, therefore, we don't have to observe. The Mosaic Sabbath command was temporary, he concludes, right? Manifest accordingly it is that the precept was not eternal nor spiritual, but temporary. You might even could say, he's saying, well, that's ceremonial law. It's done away with. Whence it is manifest that the force of such precepts was temporary and respected the necessity of present circumstances. Right? They needed it for a time. And that it was not with a view of its observance in perpetuity that God gave them such a law. So it's temporary by design, just for time, just for season. However, even though Tertullian believes that Christ's coming removed the Old Testament ethical commands concerning Sabbath, he does indicate that certain behavior is not proper on the Lord's Day. That's interesting. So his Lord's Day has something special about it. Um, in the matter of kneeling, also, prayer is subject to diversity of observance, Tertullian says, through the act of some few who abstain from kneeling on the Sabbath. And since this dissension is particularly on trial before the churches, the Lord will give His grace that its dissensions may either yield or else indulge their opinion without offense to others. Right? So there's big brother, weaker brother language again. We, however, just as we've received... Only on the day of the Lord's resurrection ought to guard not only against kneeling, but every posture and office of solitude, deferring even our businesses, lest we give any place to the devil. Right. So for Tertullian, this is early in the New, in the New Testament or in the uh, church history. Observing the Lord's day takes precedence over worldly business. Man, that's not the narrative you read a lot in uh, histories of the Sabbath. It's awfully early. Tertullian makes clear that the Jewish Sabbath was a temporary thing. And again, his context, he wants to keep separate Judaism 
in Christianity, so he's, there's not language there of Christian Sabbath. They're not going to confuse, muddy the water. Sabbath was Jews. We're not Sabbath. We're not Jews. Christ does not require, according to Tertullian, followers submit to those temporary precepts. However, Tertullian also sees some sort of ethical constraints about what is proper on the Lord's day and what is not. We have, a, we have this growing understanding of a Lord's Day theology that's slowly coming. Just like most other doctrines that slowly form. Christology forms slowly in the early church. So you get to these councils, right? Doctrine of God slowly is forming and getting better and better and more refined. So the same thing with the Sabbath, slowly growing. 